<laughs> so good to see you. I missed you last week, but you know the deal. Since I didn't get to preach last week, that means today is a two first sermon, so I hope you brought a sandwich. We're going to be here for a while. I'm watching the clock. We got at least an hour or so uh, before I will get uh, out of the review and into the sermon, okay? So, um, if you're brand new with us, thank you so much for coming. Really, really appreciate that you would uh, carve out some time and spend it with us. We think it's worth your time. And here's kind of the assumption I'm operating under, okay? Um, I'm assuming that if you're here right now, or you're joining us online, that you decide to log in, or if you're sitting with us in the parking lot right now, I'm just assuming that you're at least, at least, at least open to the idea that God could be real and open to the idea that he could be loving and open to the idea that he might actually know what he's doing and have a plan for you. And I would say he is real, he is loving, and he has a really, really good plan for you. And today you'll get to sort through some of that uh, with me and us. So thank you again for coming. Now, if you haven't been here before, uh, we, we teach in what's called a series campaign, all sorts of different uh, kind of descriptors for it. But here's kind of the big idea of that is um, the scriptures are really profound, and to help us understand the scriptures really well, it, it, it seems to be important to, to not try to take just one week and cover everything, but actually take a few weeks, not several weeks, to kind of work through a kind of big idea. And we're in a series right now called Better. And here's what it is. When life hands you choices, you can choose better right? Like this is, a lot of you are trying to figure out what to do with your life, what to do with summer, what to do in the fall, what to do with your family, what to do about your job, all those kind of things. And um, what we want to help you do is help you make better choices. There is a better choice. And what's so interesting is, I mean, I don't know if you came here this morning and go, God, if you would just be so clear to me, so clear, like what I need, God, is like a flashing sign. And sorry, camera operators, I know this messes it up with the thing, but I was going to tell you, God has a flashing sign for you today, okay? There's a flashing sign. There is going to be a choice that you can make, and it will be better. It will make life better. It'll be worth your time. And so in a series, week four, on better each week, we're going to be handed some different options to choose from. Last week, you got to choose between performance, wouldn't recommend it, and prayer. And so that's what we're going to kind of double down on today. So you're going, to, I think I want to choose prayer. I'm so exhausted by trying to perform, but I really don't understand prayer. I'm like, yep, me neither. That's why we're going to work through it together. And this is kind of a, uh, the beginning of what I will wrap up on Wednesday night. Okay, so uh, you heard about Summer of Wow. Also in the month of uh, June, we've been working through a series on prayer on Wednesday night's Cal. That's Connect on Wednesdays. Right now it's Connect Online on Wednesdays. Uh, when we get to past Labor Day, we'll be back in person there. But this is week five of kind of some different talks on prayer. And what I talked about today, uh, we'll actually be able to kind of get all the way around the barn Wednesday night. So you should come to that or you can watch it later. We'll make sure to record it, all those things, right? So uh, today we're going to kind of do the part two on prayer. So I told you this is week four of a series called Better, but it's actually a little bit more complicated than that because it's actually week 50, week 50 on a series called the Gospel of Luke. So we just opened up the scriptures and been reading a little bit every single day, every single week and kind of just... Uh, making some observations, asking God to clearly communicate what it is he wants to communicate. And so we've been in this 50-week series, and we're not even halfway through it, okay? So I don't have time to review all the stuff, but what I do want to make sure you understand in it is uh, Luke was a real person. The gospel according to Luke just literally means the good news 
according to some guy named Luke and some guy named Luke writes it. We probably should figure out why he's writing it and who he was. And so Luke was a, a doctor. He was a doctor. He was a, you know, he was a medical doctor, probably had a practice, cared for people, met their needs, physically brought healing to them. That was Luke. Luke was a doctor, right? And a scientist, an educated, affluent guy who was hired. This is so strange. By this guy named Theophilus. You, you can read about it in the Gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts, which is kind of like the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And so this guy named Theophilus, who we assume was a Roman official, he's referred to as most excellent by Luke, and that title would have been probably just to, you know, higher ups and Roman officials. So this guy named Theophilus, we can kind of deduce that he was wealthy, he was affluent, right? And he was high influence and had access to a lot of stuff as a high level Roman official. But this guy named Theophilus literally hires Luke to go and investigate who Jesus was, right? And so by the time Theophilus would have hired Luke, Luke would have left his medical practice and spent years, if not a decade, putting together all this material, all the evidence to talk about Jesus. And so this guy hires Luke. Luke leaves his medical practice and goes and does basically what would be graduate level research. And Luke tells us in Luke chapter one that he went and sat down with all the eyewitnesses, all the people who hung out with Jesus, all the people who witnessed Jesus's miracles, the ones who saw him on a cross and died, the ones who looked into the tomb a few days later that was empty, the ones who touched Jesus's scars on his wrist after the whole thing went down. So Luke would have met with all the eyewitnesses, probably even sat down with Jesus's mom and dad and uh, he would have gone and listened to their accounts about Jesus and he also said that he written, read all the oral documents so there are a couple other gospels or biographies of Jesus's life Matthew and Mark would have already been written a lot of this guy named Paul who uh, was a guy who didn't love Jesus wanted nothing to do with Jesus actually participated in trying to make sure he died and the first century followers of him died has this radical moment with the Holy Spirit hold on to that word gonna be really really important later and then uh, starts bringing this good news of the kingdom everywhere he goes started churches and uh, started writing letters to the churches he started and so um, this guy named Paul shows up and he writes lots of letters about this so uh, we believe Luke would have had access to those letters I'm gonna read one to you at the end from Galatians and we believe Luke would have already been able to read those letters and so Luke would have written, written, uh, wrote, went and read all the written documents and it says that he would have gone and sat he tells us this in Luke chapter 1 and listened to all the oral accounts meaning uh, local rabbis standing up and talking Luke would have gone and listened he would have gone and listened to all the public opinions about this guy named Jesus. And he writes all these things. He tells us in Luke chapter 1 that he writes all these things so that we could have certainty of the things that we've been taught by Jesus, about Jesus, that he was God in the flesh, that he came to free us of our sins and usher in the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, Luke tells us, I write all these things so that you can have certainty of the things you've been taught. And about a year ago, we thought, ah, it'd probably be nice to have some certainty in our really crazy world. So we started opening up the Bible, reading each week, and going, God, could you give us some certainty? But the big aha of the whole gospel of Luke isn't that uh, Jesus came to save us from our sins, right? And make you behave more, right? It wasn't that he came to make your marriage better or fix your finances, right? That wasn't Jesus's goal, right? Jesus's goal in coming is he wanted you and him to be together forever. And guess when that starts? 
when Jesus shows up and ushers in his kingdom. So the whole gospel of Luke isn't just about Jesus saving us from our sins. It's about Jesus inviting us into his family and inviting us in to participate in the kingdom of heaven right here on earth. In other words, this is, you don't pray some prayer and then get beamed up to heaven when you die. The crazy aha is that Jesus brought the kingdom with him and then he invited us to walk with him in the kingdom. And so this is so profound that today you can choose to participate in the kingdom of heaven. Like you don't have to wait for years or decades or until you finish school or until you find a job or until you get married or any of those things. Today, you can participate in it. And so the way that we get to participate in it today is actually uh, make some decisions, right? Now, the crazy thing about our decision-making, this is what's so profound, is not only did Jesus come to usher in the kingdom and invite us into it, he knew you and I weren't going to be capable of making decisions to actually participate in the kingdom. And so what we're going to learn a lot today about is this this part of who God is. And I'm going to confess some things to you. We're going to work through some things called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God, the third part of the Trinity, and it's going to take us a little bit of time to get all the way there. But Jesus gives us his spirit so that we can make decisions on our behalf to live in the kingdom of heaven. So here's the really, really crazy news. Today you're going, oh, what if I make the wrong decision? Uh, You're going to be okay. Because Jesus sent us his spirit. And if you imagine it's kind of like bowling with bumpers, you know, no matter where you throw the ball, eventually it's going to end up down there at the pins, right? So this Holy Spirit walking with us is making sure we're getting bumbling all the way through it down the path to the place that God desires. And I believe he wants to get you down that path today. So that's what we're going to do. And so uh, that's the Gospel of Luke better series. And so last week we looked a little bit about prayer versus performance. We're going to spend some more time on that today. But the other part of it is this. Today, 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 you get to make a decision. Here's the big decision you get to make. You get to accept, or we'll say reject. We'll use alliteration. See this? Or receive. Got it? And we'll talk a little bit about what you get to accept or receive for now. We'll just call it it. Okay? You get to either reject or receive it. You ready? So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, last week, Pastor Gary kind of began teaching us on prayer when Jesus models prayer. So these guys are walking with Jesus and they're going, hey, we hear that prayer is really important. We are supposed to talk to God. How do we do that? Could you show us how to do that? And so Jesus teaches us that. And that word prayer that came up last week, so interesting. It's, it's actually a pretty simple word. It literally means to exchange wishes. Meaning you have some wishes. God has some wishes, right? It's like these playing cards where you have a card that you don't want or the, these sports cards, and, but someone else has a card that you do want. You go, hey, I'm going to give you my card. You give me your card. That's kind of what it's like, that we exchange our wishes. We share with God what it is we desire, but then when we pause and listen to see what God desires, and then we give up our agenda. We receive God's agenda, which, by the way, is living in the kingdom of God. That's his agenda for us. He literally prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he has an agenda for us. So prayer is literally just exchanging those wishes. Let me read it to you specifically. Properly to exchange wishes, to interact with the Lord. Watch this. By switching human wishes for his wishes as he imparts faith. Another way to describe it is divine persuasion. So when we pray, we get an opportunity to either accept or reject or receive it, 
for now, stay with me, right? And this is a really, really neat thing to do, and prayer kind of initiates that. It's kind of like the detonation switch. So you're going, I don't really understand prayer. I don't know why I'd pray. I mean, God already knows all the things that I know, and sometimes it says you don't even know what to pray, and the Holy Spirit is to pray on your behalf, so what in the world am I doing? Great, we get to walk through that together, and it's confusing. I'm a professional Christian, and it's still so hard to understand, but something supernatural, something ah sacred, maybe even mystical, right, happens when we go to God and give him our wishes and exchange our wishes for his. So we're going to figure out how to do that. And you don't have to be a Christian to, to wrestle with this. It's going to be really, really good for you today to hear about how God wants to interact with you. So you don't have to understand the Bible. You don't have to know much about the Christian faith. This is still worth your time. That's the review. Thanks for joining me on it. And now let's jump right into the Gospel of Luke, verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 5. So they ask how Jesus Jesus teaches to pray. Jesus models it. And then he's going to do two things. He's going to share with us two parables. These are not true stories. But God knew, Jesus knew that we're boneheaded, and it's hard for us to really connect dots sometimes. Particularly when uh, someone says, you should, right? We don't like the you should with the finger pointing. Right? You should, right? And so what Jesus does, which is so gracious, he tells some really beautiful stories. And in these stories, parables, uh, typically there's someone that represents us, and typically there's someone that represents God. And so Jesus is in it for the long game. And he's happy to walk slowly with us to understand these things. So Jesus is going to teach on prayer through offering a couple of really strange stories. Luke chapter 11, verse 5. Here's the first story parable he says. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend, oh, that's good, will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, Lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has a, arrived on a journey and I have nothing set before him. So, really, really strange to make sure you understand what's going on. So, Jesus is going, oh, you want to know about prayer? No, let's, let's, let's think about it this way. Okay. Hey, you all have some friends, right? And which of you, if a friend of my arrived on a journey, so which of you, got it? So, got this friend, which of you as a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him. So, got it? So, here's what happens. So, imagine that you have friends. Let's make it even easier. Let's just imagine they're a neighbor, right? And which of you, if an, a friend arrives at your house and you think, I got to take care of them, uh, would go to their friend and go, friend, lend me three loaves. Watch this. For a friend of mine uh, has arrived on journey. So this gets a little confusing because there's two different friends. Got it? It's not the same friend. You got one friend. We'll call him a neighbor here just to help that, make that simpler. We got one friend who's the neighbor. We got another friend who's going on a journey who arrives at your house uh, and at midnight is what we discover, right? So two friends, one neighbor, another one shows up at a journey and he has arrived on a journey and you have nothing before him. So he goes, okay, imagine this. You're hanging out at your house asleep and you get this knock on the door and one of your friends, cousins, relatives shows up and goes, hey, we're in town. We need a place to stay. No, to us, that seems really, really strange because you have all sorts of ways to send messages ahead of time. You can text, you can call, you can even do all those kind of things, right? You could send an email, you can miss all that and go to hotwire.com and tell them what kind of location you want, all those kind of things. But 2,000 years ago, that was not how the culture worked. Occasionally, there's some inns, hostels, but most people didn't want to stay in those because they were really, really transient and sketchy. So the the economy of the day, because people had to travel, particularly Jews, they had to travel back to Jerusalem at least once a year. I mean, there's all sorts of traveling. So when people traveled, the way that they traveled is they stayed at a friend's house. 
Now, this wasn't like they can call them ahead of time. And a lot of times, these friends weren't actually friends. They were friends of friends of friends. But part of the culture, Hebrew culture, was if someone knocks on your door and needs a place to stay, if they're in your Jewish family, then you give them a place to sleep. Every single time. Every single time. Right? And so, in fact, uh, the Jewish culture was such a shame-honor culture that if they would not have done that, if this person would have shown up and you would have turned them away, there would be deep amounts of shame put on you. That person would talk about it. I mean, this would be humiliating. So when this thing, when this person shows up, even if he's got a big caravan of people with him, when they show up, there is a deep responsibility to give them a place to sleep and a deep responsibility to give them a place to eat. Now imagine this. This friend shows up, knocks on the door, and you open the door and you go, can I have a place to sleep? And you're like, oh, well, and something to eat. And you go, oh, I don't have any food. So he goes, now imagine this. This person comes in. You're a good Jew to the, the, his followers. You're a good Jew, so you're going to definitely show hospitality to them. So you're going to welcome them in, but they're going to be hungry. And let's just guess that let's just say you don't have any food, which they would have understood. Uh, there was scarcity in those times. It wasn't like they had a Costco. They could go buy a bunch of stuff, store it in their massive basements, right? And it wasn't any of those things. There was very little space to store food, and that food had to be fresh and made. So let's just say you don't have any bread. So if there's no bread, the person shows up, what do you do? Well, here's what you know you do. You actually go, uh-oh, I need to go find some bread because if I don't do this, I'm going to be shamed, right? By the way, shame is a terrible motivator. It's just not a good one, but in that, in some of the issues for, you know, Judaism kind of lands in that in the first century. But this shame culture leads this person who it feels helpless and doesn't know what to do, so he's going to go to another friend, we'll call him a neighbor. So which of you have a friend, they show up, you know that you're going to have to give them a place to sleep, probably your bed, and you're going to have to go sleep somewhere else. I've shared this with you before, but about eight, 17 years ago, I spent a good bit of time in Kenya. I, I, I went to a, it was kind of a camp pastor. I got to teach to missionary kids at this camp called Camp Brackenhurst, just outside of Nairobi. So for about six weeks, we did, you know, mission kid uh, camp, summer camps. And then we actually got in a big yellow Land Rover Defender, and we drove across uh, Kenya to the western part to go what, into what they called the, the bush. And a couple things happened over there. This is where we would, a bunch of white people, right there, I mean, we were, uh, which most of these, you know, orphanages that we go visit, never seen white people. Like, they would touch your hand and then they would look at it and see if it was going to rub off. I mean, it was this all, I mean, this is brand new news, crazy them. And so we would go and we play soccer with them or football with them against their local village team. And people would come and they'd laugh because we'd get destroyed every single time. And then I would get to stand up and teach the Bible or explain the gospel. And then someone would translate it in Swahili. So we'd do that and we'd go from village to village. But when we went to villages, we had to have a place to stay. So um, when we went, I got to stay at this guy named Lazarus's house. He had a one-room hut, and him and his wife and their four kids slept outside while me and a buddy slept in their house. We were on a wood bed. It was not comfortable. 
It was ridiculous. I actually was looking to see where I could leave my reviews, but there was no, like, there was no trip advisor at the time, right? And <laughs> we had a rooster beside us. I told you this. Like, the rooster was the alarm clock with no snooze button, right? Right? And so, but when we go there, part of their culture was, no, 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 you sleep in our house. We'll sleep outside. No, 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 please, please, please. Just such a hospital. And then when we left, they tried to give us a chicken. No, no, take the chicken. Take the chicken, right? And so, very interesting. And so, first century Eastern culture, similar to this, they show up, there's no food, they got to have a place to sleep, got to wake the whole family up, and you got to figure out what to do, and they would have felt helpless, so he goes, put yourself in that situation, guys, what do you do? Well, of course, you go and knock on the neighbor's door, even if it's late at night. Watch this, and here's what your neighbor will do, verse 7, and he will answer from within. This is so funny. This is literally like the crack of the door, probably not even a crack of a door. This is probably just yelling through the mud hut right? Yelling throughout, like, out the opening, right? This is, he will answer from within. He doesn't even come out. This is your friend. This is your neighbor. You knock on the door and say, I need three loaves of bread. He doesn't even come out. And he says, instead, do not bother me. Ain't my problem, bro, right? This is, this is not my friend. This is not my cousin. This isn't my mama and them, right? It's none of those things. So I don't have any responsibility here. You do. So do not bother me. The door is now shut. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. Okay? Not fun. Uh, but they wouldn't, it wouldn't have been like they would have had uh, a ton of bedrooms. So it's bedtime. Middle of the night. Right? Midnight. This, is, this isn't like our midnight where some of you are still up. This is an agrarian society. They go to bed when the sun goes down because there's nothing they can do. They don't watch TV. They don't watch one of those American Idol shows and judge it people for their pitchiness, right? They don't do those things. They don't watch the weird shows like Naked and Afraid. What has happened to our culture, right? All sorts of strange things. They go to bed. So they go to bed when the sun comes down and they get up when the sun comes up. Got it? But this is a one bedroom or this is a one room hut. So they're all sleeping together in the bed, right on the mat in the middle of the room. Now, some of you have kids. I have kids. I have two girls. One of them is a very pleasant sleeper. She snuggles up. She's quiet. She lays still, and she is very, very, she goes to sleep, and she stays asleep. I got another girl, and some of you are going, oh, I know which one that one is. Then I could probably guess, right? Uh, who is the exact opposite? You know, so if they come into our bed in the middle of the night, we're just, like, we're not sleeping anymore, right? And so, you know, they, you're supposed to lay this way, foot at, head at the top, feet at the bottom. So we got a big bed, king-size bed, right? Because who would want to sleep that close to me, right? You got those things. So king-size bed, and one of my daughters just sleeps right across the middle. And here's what's ridiculous. Sometimes she has big, dirty, nasty feet. And I never get the head, right? She never lays with her head on me. Guess what I get? The toes in the mouth. Toes in the mouth, right? That, that's, that's what my experience is. And so as I lay there, toes in the mouth, it's like, ah, right? And so all I want to do is kind of move her around so she lays the right way, and I just want her not to wake up. So we're going to go to sleep and stay asleep. And so imagine this big room, one, I mean, small room, everybody in there, and he's going, hey, quit knocking on the door. My kids are asleep, and their toes are not in my mouth right now, right? So don't bother me. My children are in bed, and I cannot get up and give you anything, right? So he's going, shh, 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 right? You know the experience. You understand it. And so this is it. Kids are finally asleep. I don't know if these folks get much sleep. So the neighbor says, no, don't bother me. And this is the parable Jesus is telling. And they all understand. Yeah, that makes sense. I would tell them to leave too, right? But verse 8, it says this. I tell you, though, 
He will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. So he goes, look, here's the deal. That guy, he's not going to get up and go, yeah, let me get you three loaves of bread right now. Come on, you want me to slice them and put some peanut butter on them and toast them, right? This is not what your buddy's going to do. This is not what your neighbor's going to do. He's not going to get up because he's your friend and he's nice. But this is what he says. Uh, because he is his friend. Yet, because of his impudence, he will rise and, be, and give him whatever he needs. So he goes, hey, here's the deal. So I put yourself in the story. One friend needs to get some food, and that friend feels helpless, really, really important, and doesn't want to be shamed. So what does he do? He goes and he knocks on the door with another friend. He goes, I don't really care. I'm going to keep beating on the door because you're going to give me some bread. You're going to give me some bread, right? And he goes, here's the deal. That neighbor is eventually going to give him bread. But it's not because he's like, oh, that's so cool. Let me help. He just wants the dude to leave him alone. So he's going, look, here's the deal. This guy is going to keep bugging. And then literally, that word impudent, so interesting here, it literally means shameless audacity. Because he has no shame. He has no shame at this point. Why? Because he is helpless. Because he is helpless, he is going to go and knock on the door because he has no other options. Shameless, helpless audacity. And that guy laying there is going, if I don't do something about this, he's going to keep bugging me. So he goes, and he gives him, see that, what he needs. So this is crazy. Jesus, as a reminder, is teaching us on prayer. And he uses this helpless, shameless, annoying, demanding, entitled neighbor. Knocks on the door. And this is what Jesus' moral of this story is. So strange. That's all you. Verse 9. And I tell you, ask Tell you ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Remember, so there you're going, how do we pray? And he says, let me tell you a story about a really annoying neighbor. Okay, remember, in a parable, someone typically represents us. Someone typically represents God. Who do you think represents us in the story? You're the annoying neighbor. Got it? We're the annoying neighbor. We're the one who needs, to, needs it, and we're helpless, and we're going, we got to get this figured out. And you go, and you go, and he goes, look, that guy's eventually going to respond, not because he's good and gracious and kind, but because he wants the annoying shamelessness to stop. And you go, wait, is God think, wait, is God the mean neighbor? Is he not going to do it? As no, 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 this is really, really important. This guy, and he's going to give us another example, but he's saying, some of this and how we pray is about exchanging our wishes. So this guy, right, what does he do? He exchanges all of his wishes. He knocks on the door. And so some of this is going, I need to tell God what it is I need. And you're going, but doesn't God already know? Yes, but he wants you to talk to him. He wants you to, and he says, look, here's what it is. If you want to know how to pray, first you have to ask. And guess what will happen if you ask? It'll be given to you, right? He goes, ask. Then he says, seek. And he says, I'm sorry, yeah, knock. So it's really, really important. So Jesus, when he teaches us on prayer, he gives us three action steps. Really, really important here. Ask, seek, knock. And we'll wrap it up and understand what, if, if Jesus is the neighbor who's annoyed and does it just because he wants us to shut up. That's not who he is, but we'll get to see it, right? And so ask, seek, knock. Got to ask, seek, knock. And this is what he says next. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, oh, they find. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. So he goes, hey, here's the deal. 
If you ask, guess what will happen? You'll receive it. Got it? Receive it. If you knock or seek, seek, you will find it. Right? And if you knock, this is really interesting, it will be opened. They will. I will. God will open it. Okay, so you're going, okay, okay, I got to pray. So I'm supposed to ask, seek, knock. Let me just give you a couple examples that might help you understand this because one of the things is, well, you told me that it's not about my performance last week. It's about prayer, so I shouldn't perform. But now these are action words. Let's talk about it. First thing you got to do literally is to ask. You got to tell God your wishes. So let me give you an example. One would be like, let's say you don't have a job. Guess what you do? You don't try to figure it out all on your own. It makes sense. You invite the God of the universe into the equation, right? In fact, you'd put him on one side of the equal sign that is all about God, right? You'd invite him in to the equation. So you would ask. So you'd go, hey, God, I, I'd really like to have a job. I need a job, God. I need a job that can pay my mortgage and take care of my kids and family and allow me to save to be prepared for future-funded ministry, right? That's what savings are, future-funded ministry. So I can continue this. God, would you give me a job that does those things? Then after you pray, it's not like you just sit there. You don't just sit. Because what Jesus says is there's actually another step. You don't just ask. You actually seek. Meaning, faith is an action word, right? Faith is you move and God meets you there. Like, there's this really crazy story when Joshua is leading the Israelites. They've been wondering for 40 years. And finally, God says to Joshua, hey, tell the people to consecrate themselves. Separate themselves. Tell them to do all those things and prepare themselves for tomorrow. The Lord's going to do incredible things. And so Joshua gets them and he lines them all up, all these people, and you got the big Ten Commandments. you got this whole line. And they come to the edge of the Jordan River. On the other side is where the promised land's going to be. And it's raging water. It says it's a flood stage. Meaning if you get caught in that, you're going to drown and die. And this is the craziest story. So Joshua tells them to prepare themselves. And then he has them lined up and he has the priest holding God's revelation. The Ark of the Covenant, God's spoken words to his people, and they're carrying it. And it literally says, as the bare soles of their feet touch the water, guess what happened? The water's parted. See, one of the things that we say all the time is, well, yeah, I'll do it. I'm just waiting for God to work out all the details. What? Where's your faith? If you're going, God, I'll do something if you just work out all the details. No, faith is an action step. It is taking an irreversible step like these folks did to enter the promised land. And as we move, God meets us where we are, right? Our obedience activates God's omnipotence. You got it? He's, going, he's, he's active in us. And so as we move in faith, he meets us where we are. So he goes, you got to ask. Like, let's actually put it on the table. Let's say out loud what it is you actually want. And then you got to go and look for it. You have to build a resume. You got to apply for the job. You probably should brush your teeth before the interview, right? All those things. And I'm telling you that anecdotal, not like I ever learned that experience in real life, right? You got to do those things. And so first you ask, you, you tell God your wishes. Then you seek it. You participate. Billy Graham says this way, hey, if you're going to pray for someone and not be a part of the solution to their problem, then it's not really prayer, right? And so we're going to ask and then seek. And it's not just we're looking for God at work. Then you actually have to knock, right? Like there is, you actually have to hit submit on that resume. You have to actually call up. You have to go and participate. And he's going, hey, here's what it is. When you ask, when you exchange your wishes with me, then you seek it. Then you'll find it. Ask and you'll receive it. Seek and you'll find it. Knock and it will be 
opened to you. So they're going, this is what you do. And they're going, okay, I guess I just got to ask, seek, and knock. Okay, okay. But then he tells another story. First parable. Which it says in verse 11. <laughs> what father? It's a different parable. Same, big idea. He, he changes it. So first was the neighbor, annoying neighbor, friend in need, helplessness, you know, shameless audacity. Okay, now what father among you? If his son, if his son, if his son asks uh, for a fish, I love this story, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? If Jesus is asking me that story, like if I'm one of the disciples, I'm probably going, <laughs> hey, you know, because I think it would be a funny story to go, here you go, Briggs, snake, right? But I mean, obviously we wouldn't really do that, but he goes, that, what among you, right? Uh, if your father, if uh, his son asks for a fish, are you going to give something that's going to destroy him? And then he goes on and goes, or if he asks for an egg, egg, are you going to give him a scorpion? So he asks a couple questions. He goes, okay, okay, let's, let's think about this prayer thing. I've just told you about asking and seeking and knocking. And if you ask, you receive it. If you knock, you'll, or seek, you'll find it. And if you knock, it'll be open to you. So you know you get that. So let me help you understand this more because you're probably confused because you're going, okay, is God the neighbor that's annoyed with me? I mean, I know I should ask and seek and knock like that guy did. There was a need, and he was helpless. So when you're helpless, you go to the one who can help. I, I get all those things, but it's God, the annoyed neighbor. Is that what I'm trying to understand? So Jesus goes and tells another story, and this time he's going to make it familial, right? This is so important in the kingdom of God. It's about family, that God came to invite us back into his family. We walked away, and we get to be back in it. The way that C.S. Lewis or someone says it, that the son of God became the son of man so that sons and daughters of men can become sons and daughters of God. Got it? So, so is, which one is this? So God, you know, Jesus is going to give him another illustration. He goes, okay, so if you're a father, let's make this familial. Let's make us understand it, help you understand it. So if, let's go back to the asking, the exchange of wishes. If your son comes and asks for a fish, are you going to give him something that will hurt him? If your son comes and asks for an egg, are you going to give him something that will kill him? Right? Are you going to do that? Are you going to? It's a new, new, new parable. The folks get to sit and think and go, well, of course. I love my son. Of course I'm going to meet his needs. If I have the agency to do something about it, I'm going to do something about it. You know that. You know that. If one of your kids asks for something and it's good for them, you're not going to give them something that will hurt them. If one of your grandkids do that, you're not going to just turn your back on them or give them something terrible. Like, if you have the means, if you have the means, you would do something about it every single time. So he's going, look, if you have fish, you're going to give them fish, not a serpent. If you have an egg, you're going to give them an egg, right? Not a scorpion. And now watch this. This is so interesting. If you then, who are evil, I love this, know how to give good gifts to your children. So Jesus is going, okay, let me make sure you understand this. So we're going to go to the parable about you, but this is going to be a little different because I want you actually to be in the story. I used the word evil, so let's, let's, let's go back. You're a father. Anybody in the room? Maybe you're a father. Good, good. You're a father. And let's imagine that one of your kids asks for one of those things. Got it? You know, fish, uh, egg. Okay, you're in the story. Nod your head. Would you do that? Oh, absolutely I would give him that. And he goes, oh, yeah, see, you think you're good. But let me tell you the next thing. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Really important. This is a sidebar, but I think it's worth kind of noting. There's several things kind of to think about here. One, is that offensive to you? So this isn't just about fathers. This is about mothers. This is about all people. He goes, hey, you're evil. You're broken. This is so important for us, guys, because one of the things that our culture tells us is follow your heart. No, no, don't do that. Jeremiah tells us that our hearts are wicked and deceitful. They are. 
In fact, we get to the point where we can convince ourselves of anything, right? And he goes, no, 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 you, your heart will lead you astray. Listen, you are broken and you are flawed and at times you can be self-centered, right? And so he's going, if you're evil, but that is not to be offensive. Hear me, hear me. When you hear that, all of you, all of you, I'm gonna look up at the balcony because, you know, that's where the non-Christians are. And so I wanna make sure we uh, include everybody. And so hear me, hear me, hear me. This is not meant to be offensive. It's actually meant to be really freeing. So look around you. Look on the other side. Look at your spouse. You can say it out loud if you want to. You can just look at them and go, you're evil. You're evil. But then you can also say, I'm evil, right? This isn't something we celebrate, but this relief that, ha, oh, Jesus does know me. He definitely knows my kids. Or you might say, he definitely knows my spouse, right? He, he knows us. He knows your in-laws, right? He knows everyone. He knows your boss. He knows it all. He knows it. And here is the big, broad stroke where Jesus labels us and puts us all in a category. And the category we all fall in is you are evil. Right? This whole idea of, okay, good people, bad people. No, no, no. Jesus going in, deep inside of us is this brokenness. And it's like, ah, oh, that's so offensive. I know it's offensive. And we want to say that, you know, we're all good and cute little butterflies. And hear me, this is not supposed to be offensive, but it should be freeing and going, look. You don't have to pretend like you have it all together. In fact, one of the neatest things about this, and wish, uh, I wish we'd do it as parents, is actually acknowledge our brokenness to our kids. Right? Because here's what they know. They know that when you go to correct them on things that they do wrong, and they go, it's so interesting. You do the same thing, Mom. And Dad. They think it. They, maybe they say it out loud. It hasn't really worked out well for them, right? And so there's something about actually just repenting and apologizing and owning the fact that we really do mess up daily, hourly. And he goes, here's the thing, though. This is what's so interesting. If, if this is the case, if all of you then, if you are, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. So one, that just levels the playing field. Man, we're broken. All the reason I tell you, let's lean into prayer. Let's lean into Jesus because we are broken, right? For the wages of sin is death. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that puts us all in the same category, all of us, right? All of us. And the only way to get in the category of family and children to a perfect and holy God is that Jesus does the work and invites us into it. That's the glory of the gospel. When Paul tells us in uh, Romans, he goes, he talks about how broken he is and what a wretched man he is. He says, who can save me from this dysfunction and sin? And he says, but be to Christ Jesus, right? So this hopefully uh, helps us go, oh man, okay, we're all in the same category. We are not, we are broken and sinners, but Jesus is inviting sin, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing here is, this is really important. See, it says, if you then give good gifts. God actually wants you to give good gifts to your children. Right? Mark Driscoll says it this way, really interesting thought. He goes, parents, you should spoil your kids. And you go, no, 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 no. You shouldn't spoil them, right? No. You should spoil your kids until they start acting spoiled. Right? Pour out good gifts. Love your kids well as long as they receive them as good gifts and celebrate and appreciate them. But the minute they go, I wanted the V8, not the V6 in their new car, right? Well, that's not exactly, like, then you go, whoa, 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 whoa. There needs to be correction and guidance there. But God is saying, if you're even evil, there still is this response that you get to give good gifts. We get to, one of the big issues many of us have about this idea of God being a good father is you have no, no, understanding of what a good father is because your father and mother weren't good right they were demanding and abusive or maybe absent 
So one of the things we got to do is go, hey, you can understand what a good father is because you have a decent earthly father who wants to do good and all for good and yet still acknowledges his brokenness in it, right? So if you then are evil, know how to give good gifts. The first one is hopefully it levels the playing field. It's not meant to be offensive. It's meant to be freeing. Second, it gives us kind of some marching orders on how we respond to our, uh, uh, to our kids, right? And three should call us to a place of confession and repentance. All those things, right? So he goes, there it is. This is the old, there's an annoying neighbor, but let me take it out of the annoyed neighbor. Let me put it into a better category for you. It's a good father. So he goes, if then you are evil, if then you're evil, and watch what it says in verse 13, B, the second part. If then you are who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Ah, so important. How much more? Hear me. How much more? If God is perfect, how much more? Infinitely great. How much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, this is why I believe we're so confused about prayer. Because you're going, well, yeah, I'm supposed to ask for the job. I'm supposed to ask for the spouse. I'm supposed to ask for, you know, healing in my marriage and recovery from addiction. I'm supposed to ask for those things, right? I keep asking those things, and I actually am really, really participating. I'm like, I'm seeking. I am going all over the place. I'm, I'm going to applying for jobs, and I'm uh, getting advice on my resume. I'm writing great cover letters, and I am literally knocking on doors, knocking. That word knocking in, in the scriptures literally means to beat with a stick, right? So I'm beating with a stick the doors. Like I am knocking, I'm knocking. So I'm doing all those things and it doesn't seem to be working out. My marriage isn't better. I'm still struggling with those same old things. I cannot find a job, right? I cannot beat the sickness. This cancer is destroying my body. And you go, all you got to do is exchange wishes and seek and knock. And so you go into the doctors, you're doing all those things and it just hasn't worked. And this is like the big, big crescendo. So, so important. Let me read it again. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It doesn't say give you the bread. It doesn't even say it'll give you the job doesn't say it will heal your cancer maybe god will but that's not the greatest gift how much more and so when you go ask and you'll receive it seek and you'll find it knock and the door will be open to you it isn't your problems it isn't the solutions that you think to your problems it is actually the holy spirit and see this is really really uncomfortable for me because as a christian uh the holy spirit piece has always made me really a little awkward Right, because in some ways, just candidly, many people in my life had uh, manufactured things that I saw and understood and, and then gave, you know, credit to the Holy Spirit. And it's like, ah, oh, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. Right, the Holy Spirit didn't tell you to leave your spouse and go find a different one. Right, and so I just have seen all these weird things. And so I kind of was like, ah, the Holy Spirit, that's really, really great, I guess, but don't really understand it. And since I don't understand it, let me focus on the things to understand. And so understand God, big, perfect, loving, gracious God. And luckily I had a good father, so that's not a hard one for me to understand. So I understood God. And boy, 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 had my, had my marching orders and my focus been on Jesus. Read the story of God's love and grace and Jesus as Savior, right? Really, really understood it. But candidly, up until age 39 the Holy Spirit wasn't a big part of uh, my routine or my focus just wasn't at all and then over the last year like God through hard 
circumstances through deep pain kept offering me comfort and peace that seemed to not be available to me my entire life before. And what's really interesting is this Holy Spirit is described as a comforter and an advocate, right? And this really, and the way that it, the best word for it is pneuma. That's how it's described. And it literally means wind. And holy means set apart or different wind, meaning God breathes life. And boy, has last year been a year of every time I breathe, it's God breathing like real life in me. And it has real understanding because when God created Adam, he breathed life into him, right? When you see the valley of dry bones that we've talked about in Ezekiel, God breathes life. There's something about breathing in God's life and it's going, oh God, I need to repent. I'm so sorry for spending so much time trying to help people intellectually understand who God is, but not enjoy him and experience him through your spirit, right? And so Jesus is going, hey, this is really, really important, really, really important. See, you're focused right here on the little task, the little thing, but there's a much bigger picture. It's a much bigger picture than whether or not you can pay your mortgage this month. There's a much bigger picture than whether or not you have to file chapter 7 or chapter 11 or whether or not you don't have a job. There's a, there's a much bigger picture, I promise, and it's so hard to see in the middle of the moment. He's going, ask, 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 seek, knock, knock, knock. And when you do that, listen to what God says. He is such a good father who gives such good gifts. This is what he gives you. The Holy Spirit. He gives us his spirit. Right? Gives us his spirit. Put a, put a price tag on that. That you get God through his spirit. Jesus says, I come to give you life and life to the fullest. How does he do that? He breathes that life into you. Through what? His spirit. What we're asking for. What we're seeking what we're looking for is his spirit. And you go, okay, that's really, really neat, I guess. But I don't even understand what the spirit does. Like, is it, like, I, is all this new documentation about UFOs. You're like, I'm not sure what to do with it. And it's like, kind of feel the same thing about the Holy Spirit. Well, can't really define it. And what's really, really probably a, a inappropriate is, use, is replacing the word it with the spirit. Because that's kind of how we view it. This, you know, and, and, like, impersonal power. Instead of literally a powerful person. It is, it is he, it is a third part of the triune God who always existed and he. So if you imagine this, so, so important to understand this. As you think about in the beginning, you go, why in the world would God even create this mess? You look at all the brokenness in the world and go, really, this, like, if there's a God, this is the world he designed? Couldn't he have designed a better one, right? Like, and then you go, well, why did he even design it? And, you know, the, this triune God, understand God the Father is a really, really good father. God the Son is a really good big brother who comes and brings us back to the Father. God the Spirit is the one who comforts us and brings us peace and brings us the power, the same power that conquered the grave is available to us. So that God who always existed was together before we ever showed up right? Go back as far as you can in the other way in history. And that's where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit exist. So it's not like God the Father was lonely and needy and needed some community and needed some affection. He was perfect and perfectly in communion. And so this triune God who had all the community could ever need and all the love it could ever need, in fact, an infinite amount, decides like you do when you have more than you need. Right? To find an object or find someone who can, who can receive that. Whether it's extra food or extra clothes. You hate throwing it in the trash, right? Because you have more than you need. You want to make it available to those who don't have anything. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are in perfect communion. And that infinite love. And so what do they do? They create an object to pour that love out on. Not an object, just a human. You and I. And he creates us to pour out his love. And you're going... Well, how do I receive and experience that love? You, you can understand it through what Jesus did. 
right? He paid the price, right? He, he showed you his value, that God of the universe is willing to pay for your connection to him. You can think, you can see it and understand it intellectually through what Jesus did. You can understand through creation who God is. That there's no way that something intelligent didn't make that, but how do you actually experience that love that's poured out? How do you experience it? Only through his spirit. And you see, I understood all this intellectually, but could not receive that. There is something that was blocking this thing in my head and this thing I knew should be in my heart. And it was like literally an obstruction. And over the last year, there was this, this massive surgery spiritually for me that removed the obstruction to finally, finally receive God's Spirit. If you look at the church in our nation right now, it is declining. Every mainline denomination declining. There is only really one movement of churches that right now are growing. And it's interesting because it's in a charismatic, spirit-filled environment. You know why? You don't need more information. You can get as much information as you want out of your, out of your phone. It's because we all are longing to see and experience and be filled by that Spirit. So Jesus is going, here's a really neat thing. All those wishes you have, I'll fix them. But they're not going to be solved with the things that you think they're going to be solved with. It's not like all of a sudden you're just going to get a check in the mail and that's going to fix all your problems. No, no, no. You have much bigger problems than that. Remember he told us we were evil. He wants you to see and experience his grace and his goodness and his kindness and his love and the way that he does that through his spirit. So every time we think about prayer, we think it's about asking for something and Jesus says yes or no, move it forward. Yes or no. No. Every time we pray, God answers it. And guess what he answers the prayer with? His spirit. You see this? So every time we're talking to God, what's actually happening is we're exchanging our wishes, going, God, this is what I'd really like. This is what I'd really like to experience. Boy, I'd like that. And God goes, ah, okay. In order for us to exchange those wishes, I got to actually implant my love and my peace and my nature in you. So what's going to happen is you continue to pray. God's going to continue to give it, you his spirit. And the things that you pray for and the things that you desire are going to change. Because what God is actually doing is he's exchanging his wishes and his desires for your wishes and your desires. So the spirit is doing that in so when Jesus goes, ask, seek, and knock, he's going, here, your father is a good father. He only gives good gifts. And the greatest gift he gives is actually a spirit. And that's been available to you, but you have not received his spirit. So you go, okay, what does his spirit do? What does it do? This is, you tell me it's better than money. Tell me better than a fixed marriage. Tell me it's better than, you know, a good job. What does his spirit do? What's so interesting is uh, Luke would have read this. About 50 AD, uh, I told you about a guy named Saul who becomes Paul. Biggest persecutor Christians to the biggest uh, leader of uh, first century Christians. He writes uh, a letter to a church that he loves in Galatia. And he started about 18 months earlier. And he was seeing that what had happened is they had moved from this spirit-filled moment back from this prayer and receiving to this performance one that they thought there was a way by which they could make God happy with their own abilities, right? And so Paul probably his most stern letter, his most direct one. In fact, if you read in Galatians 6, it's so funny. So Paul typically transcribes this. He talks out loud, and someone writes it, and there's lots of parenthetical phrases. It annoys me. I don't know why people talk that way and talk so fast and all those kind of things, but that's who Paul was. And so Paul wrote this letter, but in Galatians 6, he kind of seems like he takes it back from a scribe, and he writes in big, all-caps letters. You can go read it in Galatians 6. It's so funny. He says, I'm writing these things in bigger letters so you'll understand. But right before that, in Galatians chapter 5, he tells us what God has given us in his spirit. So let me just read this to you. Galatians chapter 5, and you'll, you'll understand what this is. And we've learned it wrong because we thought this was something we we're supposed to attain to and perform on our own. But this is nothing for you to do. This is all something for you to receive. God calls it fruit. 
but it's his tree. It's him that produces this fruit, not you. So this is what the Spirit wants to do in you. So as you pray, this is what becomes available to you. Galatians 5, verse 16, he says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. So here's what happens. As you walk with the Spirit, you're exchanging your wishes, but a lot of those wishes are about your flesh, and those start to subside, and God continues to infuse His Spirit and His peace and His joy. Watch what happens. Uh, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. They're opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. You see, some of the things you're praying for will not actually solve the problems that you have. They'll actually make your problems even bigger, right? Keep you from the things you, uh, you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, right? So it's not about your performance. Now, the works of the flesh, let me just give you some, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, uh, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, uh, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all things like these. Okay, come back on Wednesday. We'll talk more about all that stuff. Be worth your time to come. But he goes, let me just tell you what it is that's going on inside you. Remember he told us we were evil. There's this thing, this malice in us, this competitiveness in us. And he's going, no, no, that's of the flesh. But watch what the Spirit does. Now watch this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, who put their hope in such things, right, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, Luke says, want you to participate in the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, hear me again, the fruit of the Spirit. This is not something you can perform, not something you can do. It's what God does as we pray, and God gives us his Spirit. His Spirit does this work. This is not about performance. Hear me again. This is all about what Jesus, through his Spirit, wants to do in you. You can't go, I need to do these things and work harder. No, 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 you have to receive it. Receive it. And you think I'm crazy. I'm going, no, no, promise. Over the last year, experientially, this has been what I've experienced. And it's not been because of my work. You got it. Actually, I'm working less and doing less and trying less hard and, you know, not putting my hope in those things. And all of a sudden, God continues to do these things because it's his work of the Spirit. And watch what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. You want to really experience love? Comes from the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. You really want to experience joy? It's not found in happenstance. It's, ex- it's found in this Spirit. Uh, peace. You really want to have peace? Spirit. Patience. Who needs that? But if you wanted that for you, whatever, it comes from His Spirit. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. Want those things? They don't come from your performance. They come from making a choice to invite his spirit to dwell in you and do that work. His spirit exchanges those wishes in you. Gentleness, self-control against such things, there is no law. This is not about your performance. Watch this. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So remember, ask, seek, knock, exchange wishes. Jesus comes into us and he starts to crucify those things, those are no longer the things that you'll want. And it says this, verse 25. If, it's your choice. If we live by the Spirit, receive the Spirit, if we can do that, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see, the joy that's available to us is not in our performance. It's not in God answering our prayers and giving us what we want. He is not a genie in a bottle. What it is is God gives you a spirit and you get to walk with a spirit everywhere you go and many of you know this because you have walked through deep 
pain, deep hardship, and you've gone, yet I hadn't experienced his spirit. So that's what I want for you. What I want for you. I want you to receive his spirit. And I told you, I'm going to be a Christian in this stuff. We can start this thing right now by going, Jesus, I believe you're God's son. Jesus, I believe you made a way where there's no way. And Jesus, I believe you want to give me your spirit so I can experience all these things. And I've looked everywhere else and I've not found them. And so maybe, maybe you've been walking with Jesus, trying to figure out Jesus for decades. You go, there's something still off. And here's what's off. You have not received the joy that comes from just being implanted and infilled and indwelled with his spirit his spirit so prayer is about his spirit and so what i want us to do is the band's going to come up here and we're going to sing a song and what this song is it's going to continue you've heard it before so we go let the light in and i want you to imagine and literally it's going to the point where we're going to open up the windows open up the doors this is what it is it's just going god i'm going to crack open the stuff and let your spirit in and so i want you to be able to participate in this and sing this about his spirit so what I would have you do, would you stand up with me? And before we sing, I just want to lead you. Something. So you can stand right in a second, if you don't mind, right where you are. Thank you. If you're out in the parking lot, I challenge you to do that. If you're in your living room, I still challenge you to do that. And as always, there's no demand. If that's hard for you, you stay seated. Not a big deal at all. But I am going to lead you in a prayer, inviting his spirit into you. And I double-dog dairy to pray it. I double-dog dairy with sugar and cherries on top. You got it? To pray it out loud. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And again, if that's weird for you, don't pray it. It's okay. Or if you want to pray in your head, don't pray it. But I would challenge you to speak. Speak this life and invite his spirit into us. And so would you join me in praying? You can repeat after me. It's not my words. It's God's words and your motivation to have God's spirit in you. So this is what I challenge you to say. Father God, you're a good father. Lord Jesus, you are a good savior. Holy Spirit, you're the best gift. Please come to me. Please fill me. Please teach me to worship you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you lead us as we sing?
week. Let God's face shine on you. Let Jesus whisper his love to you. And may his spirit indwell you and may you walk with his spirit. It's weak. So I just want to pray over you and then send you on your way. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you would absolutely have your way in our lives. God, that your spirit would indwell us, Lord, and fill us with joy and peace and hope and love and gentleness and kindness, patience and self-control, God, and may we walk in the grace that you give us. And God, may we, may they, may we, may all of us, God, experience your spirit this week. Experience your spirit. So Jesus, would you give us a mind and heart and eyes and ears to see and experience your spirit at work in our lives this week. And may it bring great joy and hope to us. So God, would you guide us? Would you comfort us? Would you fill us? Would you give us the wisdom to know how to walk with your spirit this week and the courage to actually do it? And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Love you guys. As a reminder, part two of this will be Wednesday night and Summer of Wow also starts Wednesday night. You be well. Love you all. See you soon.